So Mike, this week, just me and you, because there's going to be four of us in the room, we've got two absolute world-class estate agents. He's recommended Avocado to multiple people. I've just had a million pound listing off the back of him recommending us as well. So Amazing. it's just building that rapport like we would with any other client, any mm. other tenant, anyone that we actually come across. I think we were saying the other day about being the people's people. To try and help landlords out there that maybe are thinking, for whatever reason, the market's peaked, just timing's right, tax efficient, to get their buy to let sold. And how could they do that perfectly? So before we get Dan and Neil in to chat for it, and looking forward to getting them on you. Yep. Dan sold my buy to let for me about six months ago. So he's fresh off a success from doing that. Gave me the absolutely right advice at the time. Uh, I was very impressed when he did it. So it's time to share that with everybody else. Yeah, we've got a few bits to go through. Let's get stuck straight in. Let's do it. So Dan, Neil, thank you for joining us. And as me and Mike were talking about on the intro for this podcast today, we've got two experts when cool. it comes to selling buy-to-lets. Don't know how many thousands experts, of I like buy- that. Yeah, <laughs> experts. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got you on. We only deal with experts on this Absolutely. podcast. Um, I don't know how many thousands of properties you've sold over the uh, many, many decades between you that you've operated, but often you do find a landlord will come to you and they will ask to sell one of their assets for whatever reason they may want. So looking forward to getting stuck into that. But first of all, how are you both, Dan? How's things? Yeah, really good. Really good. Busy, but loving it. Um, Seems like everything's still moving in the right direction in terms of the market, our side. So yeah. Good stuff. Losing your voice, you've been uh, (laughs) so busy. Yeah, so busy. Dying out. (laughs) Shouting offers at people. (laughs) How's your voice and how's your business? My voice is perfect, as always. All good. Uh, Yeah, still flat out busy. Enjoying the uh, little bit more relaxed weather. It's not so hot. I need to work on my laptop in my boxes because that's just weird. Yeah, well, there we go. It's nice to kick off a podcast talking about people in their pants. (laughs) I I didn't know. I was was melting last week. I'm glad I was wearing shorts and t-shirt. I don't know whether that's politically correct to move on to tenants after that. But um, that's the last thing you want when you're selling your property is to turn up and uh, do a viewing and the tenants in their pants because they they don't know that the viewing is going to happen. But let's be honest, we've probably been all in that situation once. I can remember a vivid set of Y-fronts in my mind when I turned up and it hadn't been booked properly. So would we kick off and say probably one of the first pieces of advice to give to a landlord looking to sell is communication? Absolutely. 100%. It's so important. And actually building that relationship from the start really early on with with a potential tenant who we're looking to sell for and things like that with the landlords because let's face it, tenants probably may not want to move out and things like that. It's just about that relationship that we build with them from the start to make sure it's really smooth yeah. um, and effectively get them a buyer that's that's great for their sale. And we were talking before, Mike, that tenants and estate agents, for some reason or another, out of all of the different four profiles, landlord, tenant, buyer, seller, the, the relationship with a tenant and an estate agent seems to be the one that's got the most friction for whatever reason it may be, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think tenants traditionally have been ripped off by estate agents with tenant fees. Um, fortunately, that's now no longer the case. But tenants tend to only be in contact with their estate agent on a negative sense because something's broken or because the rent's being reviewed or because the contract needs redoing or because they're being asked to leave. So the the, the agent tends to be the the big bad wolf in the scenario so you, you rarely get a positive experience with 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 a tenant from that perspective so what's the what's the answer then for for landlords i guess when they instruct an agent to sell their property what they're hoping for 
is that the agent's going to take care of most things for them. Mm. And in the background, we joke about kind of tenants not expecting a viewing, for example, and we use the word communication, which is the number one complaint in, in the industry for both sales and for lettings. How can a landlord be sure that their goals are best achieved when it comes to selling a property? Because not always does an estate agent see from a landlord's perspective, I don't think. They, they're almost instructed to achieve a sale at all costs, whereas actually for a landlord, it might be a case that there's a level or a time period where, okay, they just don't need to sell it anymore because it's not meeting those demands. So when we talk about communication, what kind of questions would you ask a landlord, Neil, that's looking to book a valuation in different to you may ask a seller? Um, I always ask people, interestingly enough, I was booking an evaluation in for a rental property on the way walking into this podcast. So, there we go. <laughs> so it's fresh. Fresh, yeah. on, fresh on the mind. I Interestingly, I always ask them where they live because I, generally speaking, if they can't meet me at the property, which sometimes they don't, sometimes they do, mm. I'd like to go and still chat to the landlord face to face so they can get an idea on how we operate. Um, I always ask for the tenant's details so that I can call them and introduce myself, which again, I've done today. Um, I drop them a text, drop them a WhatsApp. So that, again, that communication is 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 from the get go. Um, ask how long the tenant's been there. Mm-hmm. Just trying to build the rapport with both sides. Really, mm-hmm. normally you obviously you're just going down the the seller route, the vendor route. But if the landlord's sort of got a third party slash the tenant, you want to find out a little bit more so you can build that rapport with them. Um, we were chatting, Tristan and I were chatting outside earlier about a tenant that now absolutely loves avocado. Because when I went in, he um, he he'd had two other or three other estate agents been out within the last couple of days, and he pretty much just shunned me away because he hated estate agents. By mm. this point, they obviously given have given a bad reputation, and he said they're not looking after me because they just come in, they take their photos, and they they go away again. And um, I sat down with him and said, "Well, what are you looking for? How can I help? I'll help you." Yeah. And he he kind of thought I was just pulling the wool over his eyes, and lo and behold. A couple of months down the line, I found a rental property for him, worked with Tristan closely on it to get him in. And now he loves me. Uh, he's recommended Avocado to multiple people. I've just had a million pound listing off the back of him recommending us as well. So amazing! it's just building that rapport like we would with any other client, any mm. other tenant, anyone that we actually come across. I think we're, we were saying the other day about being the people's people. The people's people, <laughs> the yeah. people's people. Taking the transactional side of it away. Because that's estate agents behind the scenes they're thinking this is so for landlords listening that are looking to sell why isn't a state agent just going in and taking photos because there's no way all those in uh, estate agents have been asked to sell that property so their practicality and again this is where the transactional element comes in they go okay it's a landlord valuation we've got an opportunity to visit the property we'll effectively do the details the photos get it ready to market so we don't have to go back out again. Mm-hmm. It's just laziness for my point. It's cutting yeah. corners. It's not yeah. doing it the right way. There's a number of reasons why a, a landlord may sell, right? So it might be the case, actually, that the tenant's given them notice. And now yeah. it's going to be empty in two months. Yeah. So the, the, the landlord's like, well, <clears throat> I'm going to sell it. It's the right time for that reason. So I don't want to go back through with another year or two's rental. Mm-hmm. In those scenarios, you'd like to think if you build the relationship with the tenant, they're going to be pretty forthcoming, allowing you to get the, the best details and get that prepared and take your time to do that because it's not going to be taken over by another tenant afterwards. Mm. Or it could be the landlord needs to sell for whatever reason. They need to pull their money out for separate reasons. I've got one at the moment. Um, lovely lady selling three of her properties 
um, because she needs to use the money to fund her mother's care home. So there's a different need for actually yeah. having the cash up front now at the moment. Mm. Um, and the tenants in there are all living inside the property and have been there for quite a long time. So that needs to be approached differently Yeah, because they're not going to want to leave. Mm. So it's how do we get the best result for the for the landlord Yeah, and also make sure the tenants feel comfortable to allow us to have the right access, to find the right buyer, to get the best details and still handle it the same way we deal with any residential sale. Yeah. I think that's really, really an important point for landlords listening because much like with a divorce or a split, if someone wants to sell it and they're not living in the property and someone in the property ideally doesn't want it to be sold because it's their home, be it the other part of the split or in this case, an angry tenant that doesn't want to move out, they can make it they almost make it impossible yeah. for, for an agent to operate in reality. We've so, had it in the past where yeah. people have sort of refused if you if you go down the wrong wrong route, not not here, but in my previous employment, it was um it was just tricky. But I always say the same thing to tenants when I walk in, when I meet them and I introduce them myself. I say, look, at the end of the day, it's the landlord's property, but mm. it's your home. We're, we're here to work with you and for you at the same time. So we'll make it as easy as possible. But it also goes in our best interest, one, looking after them, but making sure we can have that access arrangement to do the open house or something along those lines, because that works really well. Yeah. And when you go down that route and you actually break it down to them and actually sit down with the tenant and say, this is our process. It puts you out as little as possible. If we can sell it to a landlord, perfect. So if the, if the, um, if the landlord hasn't given notice, there's no point in us rushing them out the door necessarily and then the yeah. landlord being left with a, a vacant property, not making any money. I've had that recently on one in Reading where she was like, I'm going to give them notice. I said, we don't need to rush into it. Don't be hasty because mm -hmm. I could sell it to a landlord. Yeah, We did actually sell it to a landlord the first time around. Unfortunately, that didn't go through and then we sold it to someone buying it for residential. But I said, don't, don't, you don't need to worry about giving them notice. Yeah. So she ended up having two more months rent that she would have lost out on if she didn't just obviously take the advice. So exactly. Yeah. Probably the best part of three k that she's up on yeah. on that advice. And I mean, that's the ideal scenario for a landlord, isn't it, Mike? I think the ideal scenario is tenant in situ, no void period, no extra mortgage payments without rental income up to the point of exchange, then it gets handed over and the tenancy gets taken over. From a legislation point of view, from a sort of legal transactional point of view, if everyone's happy with that, straightforward? I think it's the the best case scenario, yeah, because everybody wins. Um, the issues that can come along with that is, for some reason, which is totally unknown to me and most mortgage brokers, a lot of buy-to-let lenders don't like you to buy it a property with a tenant in situ which makes no sense to me whatsoever because <laughs> yeah. surely a tenant who's there looking after a property with a proven yeah. rental history who's going to pay on month one is a better option than buying a vacant property where you don't know who the tenant's going to be and you don't know when they're going to move in it just it beggars belief really. there's no common sense yeah. for, for for that um but yeah i mean obviously if you can hand over a property and not disturb your tenant that that's like the a1 dream um, I've personally had a total opposite experience of that selling rented properties. I've sold two of my portfolio in the last, I don't know, five years. Um, and in both times I've done it when the tenant has given me notice, but it just happens to have been a convenient timing. The market's been right. Um, and I felt like it's a good time to dispose of a property. Um, and one of them was actually sold by, by Dan in the room. Dan visited the property whilst the tenants were still in situ, gave me one valuation and then visited again 
when I'd been in, had it professionally cleaned, cleared, cleared a load of furniture out, moved a load of things around, spent about 90 quid in Asda and gave me a very different valuation. Um, so the two months rent or the, well, it was probably, it was probably I lost two months rent whilst it was sort of being, I mean, we sold it first day, but it's probably a couple of months rent in just getting that sorted out and then probably four months rent in the time it took to go through. So I probably lost six months rent, which was six grand, give or take, but I made about 15. That comes down to the condition of the property. Present, purely presentation. I spent, I spent a grand total of, well, the cleaning was paid for by the tenant actually. So I've spent a grand total of about 90 pounds in Asda in the home section. Yeah, dressed it up a little bit, made it look smart and cleaned it up. What a big difference it makes. Candle and a cactus. Mm, something down those lines. <laughs> yeah, <living> the dream. <laughs> but it's interesting because that that's the sort of advice that I guess a landlord needs to have from the agent when they visit it is, look, at the moment, the tenants outgrown this property. There is stuff. Yeah. Let's just call it stuff Absolutely. everywhere. And actually, you'd be better off selling this with the tenant out because the rooms are going to look bigger, it's going to feel airier, it's going to feel cleaner, it's going to be more able for a buyer to visualise it as a home. Or maybe you've just got an immaculate tenant and actually their furniture is fantastic. They've got very expensive taste. Mm -hmm. And actually it being vacant is a negative based on an OCD tenant that might be in there. So it's it's knowing the circumstance. Yeah, on the scenario, it literally depends on the scenario you find yourself in and how you take that opportunity. Mm. Clearly the, the easiest way to to sell a tenancy property and usually as if it's been cleaned down it's empty it's ready to go it's therefore a no chain sale for somebody as well that can help potentially help add the value and you open up to the full market rather than just for investment buyers you've got the full residential market that's going to help maybe get a better value mm. it's whether we think that's going to outweigh it being empty for two three months and the cost you've got on that so if you've got a mortgage payments on on it it's probably a bit more challenging if you own it outright and you're just selling the asset then maybe it might be easier to sell it empty without the challenge of the tenant inside. I think it's just given, as Dan said there, it's just given the right advice in different circumstances. Because mm. we, we've had it before where we'll speak to a landlord that hasn't been to the property for years. So we'll go down and say, do this, do this, do that. But again, a lot of estate agents will just rush into it going, I want the board outside. doesn't matter what what it, what, yeah. what it needs to. I think that's, that's tailor, the key to it, it yeah. is, is, is someone needs to put, the figures in front of a landlord and say, yes, you stand to lose £6,000 in rent. I understand that's difficult, but you also stand to make ten to £15,000 in in what you will get for this property based yeah. on what will happen or based on you putting some carpets down or giving it a lick of paint or whatever it is. You can massively turn around the, the value of a rented property. Yeah, huge. huge. 10% easily in, in some cases where a tenant hasn't particularly looked after it or they've outgrown it or, yeah. you know, they've gone through the whole lockdown situation, blah, 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 and the property's just got a bit worn out. Um, Flip, but flipping but it. people don't, sorry, people don't, I don't think estate agents do that because no. they're too concerned about getting the listing that well, week. It's just yeah. get, get exactly. it on, get a market, get a, get a board out, get it get on the market. And that's what's money. important yeah. to them. Yeah. Where, yeah, every it's having your own agenda, isn't it? It's yeah. not the agenda of the seller, it's the just agenda of the yourself. agent. Yeah. yeah. What about for, you know, you mentioned a landlord may not have been there for a while. They might have bought the property 15 years ago. 15 years ago, as a landlord with no chain buying that property, they might have had it done in seven weeks. But obviously now... If we're talking the leasehold, for example, what what would you advise a landlord to be um, almost planning for financially on the actual transaction? You know, speed of sale, 
let's say the property goes under offer within five to six weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, let's just call it that five to six weeks working with the tenant to agree a deal. Um, from the point of sales letters going out and solicitors being introduced to each other, what are we thinking at the moment with the sort of average leasehold to actually get through? You're probably looking at about most of them suggest or solicitors suggest at least, I say solicitors suggest at least, they're saying 16 weeks. Mm -hmm. And some have taken longer, some have taken, are going quicker. And that's probably about right for a leasehold, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, it's, so. I think mm -hmm. it's just a case of, again, knowing all the parts of the puzzle because again there's a lot of lot lot of different variables i'm dealing with one that's it's a, a vacant property it was shared ownership the buyers wanted to renew the lease while the sellers were staircasing to sell it 100 percent, and then it turned out that the section 42 couldn't be used in conjunction with the other one and it was just one thing after the next but it's just again it's communication yeah i jumped on everything whenever i needed to to make sure that People knew what they needed to do when they needed to do it. Um, but quite simply, if a landlord's looking to sell a, a leasehold property, it's just be prepared, instruct a decent solicitor. I had one landlord who's selling a property through me at the moment. Um, she didn't want to go with a couple of solicitors that I recommended because of price. Um, and we jested at the time about her going online and finding a solicitor uh, about you get what you pay for and this, that and the other. Within a couple of weeks, she realized what I meant. And she's already quite miffed with her solicitor. And I'm having to tell her what to do and how to go about it. But that's what the solicitor should be doing. So, yeah, it's employing the right people to do the job. And what's what's I think really important for landlords on that mm. timescale planning is to think how early should they actually be talking to an estate agent or planning around it? Because you can do a valuation on a rental property. And I've had time and time again where landlords or property investors have said to me i don't want to upset the tenant yeah and you know we kind of just go in there and we say look we're just here for mortgage reasons just to give them a price because you don't want to rock the boat at that stage but for a land it's end of august now you know that we're recording this and maybe a landlord's thinking right my tenancy is up next summer 2023 nine ten months away something along those lines probably in reality in the next couple of months weeks they really should be thinking about the strategy behind it because 100%. we're talking about a legal transaction that's going to take five months to potentially go through after you found a buyer for yeah, it yeah and it and, and also depends i suppose on your situation with the tenant in terms of you might be able to help answer these a bit better but the the, the notice period so tenants will have probably a two-month notice period they can give yeah if they get wins that you might be selling it they may give that a bit earlier past a certain break point so it's emptier before you thought it might be mm -hmm. um or equally what your notice is to give them because the transaction is going through you can't exchange on that property unless there's vacant possession mm -hmm. if you're selling it that way that is yeah um and we already know discussed so everyone it's a little bit difficult anyway with the tent in place even if you're buying it as a as an investor so you need to know what notice you're giving them because if you don't give it the right time, that could add on another four or eight weeks to that process yeah. of of it being a bit more challenging. So it's understanding all those bits with whichever agent you're letting it through. And Mike, you mentioned you recently kind of sold two different properties. What was the uh, what was the kind of more tax capital gains just for you to make sure that you, you were selling them with the right reasons? You weren't going to pay out too much. What was the little checklist you went through for for people listening? Yeah, I think the I think the basics obviously this isn't tax advice. I'm not registered tax advisor. This is just personal experience. But don't sell two properties in one year um, was the first thing that I 
I looked at because every single person in the UK gets a free capital gains allowance. So you might as well use that allowance over two years to double your amount. Um, if you're just buying a buy-to-let property now and you're married, as long as you're happily married, it's a good idea to put it in both names because yourself and your significant other both get capital gains tax allowances, which will write off somewhere in the region of 25, 26,000 pounds of profit. Um, potentially look at selling the property in a year where your income is low because there are two bands of capital gains tax allowance at the moment at 18 or 28%. So if this year you know you're not working for six months or you are a self-employed individual and you can take or not take salaries for certain periods of time, you might look at next year, my income's going to be low because I'm on maternity leave. So next year is a good time to sell the property because I'll pay a lower amount of capital gains tax, for example. So the four or five ways, there's, there's no never any avoidance of these things, um, <coughs> but there are ways of just minimizing it by just understanding what the basic rules of the game are of when you're going to pay how much you're going to pay um and the government website is actually very good on capital gains i found you can you can log on and you can simulate how much capital gains you're likely to pay and you can play that simulation as many times as you want based on what your income is when you're selling it um how much you paid for it how much you're selling for it how much you can offset so you can do all of those things before you go to market don't do it afterwards yeah. because just like with stamp duty, just like with anything else, it will catch up with you. You yeah. will have to pay it. And if you're relying on that money to come from somewhere else, you're going to be left short. And you, you mentioned there was a, almost a five-year gap between some people may not know, but within that five-year window, the actual deadline of paying the capital gains tax has changed as well. So you now have to pay it within 30 days of sale, whereas yep. previously okay. you could wait for the next tax year, couldn't yep. you? So yeah, you could hold it for the entire tax year and then and then pay it. Um, but now, yeah, it's, it's, it's borderline instant. You might as well pay it straight out the proceeds through your solicitor. That feeds back into your planning even more so, doesn't it? In terms of when you think you're going to receive the money and at what point and what year you're going to be doing that in. So if, you know, Mr. Joe Bloggs is selling their investment property for next summer. It's probably a good idea to start thinking about all these bits. Yeah, do you want to get it in it. this tax year or next tax yeah. year? So you, yeah. you you start planning your contract around it. You start planning your estate agents around it, everything. Yeah, I think as well, if we think, right, a lot of people, there's talk that, you know, if depending on what industry you're in, if you're in trades or sales commission and things like that, and you're self-employed or you're employed and you've just had high bonuses over the last sort of year or two, and then if if the economy does take a little turn and, you know, say, for example, we do go into recession, then maybe the strategy around that is to think, well, I'm going to earn 25% less this year. That might be the better opportunity to sell it rather than things are booming. I might just get it dug in and, and, and sort of get that asset sold. And then you're paying tax more at a, a higher level than what you probably need to. So, I mean, look, look at the people who traditionally get out of buy to let tend to be in their late 50s, early 60s, because the property they've had to run the race. Now, if you're at the point of retirement, why would you sell a property whilst you're still in gainful employment? You might yeah. as well wait that couple of years until you've retired. And then in the first year of your retirement, just don't draw on your pension or draw very little on your pension and make sure you pay a, a, a minimum capital gains tax bill. That You know, it can be, it can be a good few thousand pounds saved. Mm, absolutely. 
what's your view, Dan, on um, landlords selling to the tenants that are in there? It's a good question. Because it could be good. Yeah. It might be really straightforward it, and easy because they're going to pay up to the point of... But, but is, is, have they offered it to the whole of the market? Well, I don't thing, know. There's two ways of looking at it. That, that, that tenant inside may love that property and may be able to afford it um, and actually know the ins and outs of it, knows there's going to be no issues, probably going to be a fairly straightforward transaction, aren't going to ask any crazy questions. So you think it would go through a bit quicker. Um, that's if they can afford it because a lot of people who are, I think, renting at the moment anyway, are renting for a reason where they haven't got to that position maybe quite yet. So there's not as many that are going to be selling and doing it. But you're, the, the, the flip to it is, yeah, you haven't opened up to the full market. <clears throat> so, you know, for me at the moment, every single property we sell and put on the market, whether it be leasehold, freehold, um, good condition, bad condition for certain price points, we are getting multiple interests with the way that we market. And there's lots and lots of buyers out there that just want to grab properties. Mm-hmm. We are surprised on a weekly basis with some of the offers we're still getting in right now in terms of over asking price, the quality of them. Um you might be missing out on on a fair chunk of money if you if you think you're doing a deal for the for the tenant yeah um so it's whether you come up with sort of with a plan where you go okay well do we market it for seven days eight days in my opinion at the moment if the property's priced and marketed well you'll know the level of interest you're going to get in the first week absolutely first two weeks are the most important if you haven't Mm -hmm. sold after two weeks it's probably too much money Mm -hmm. so you could market it see what interest you get in if that interest is building it's looking likely you're going to get more than what the tenant could potentially afford you've got a, a route you might take. And if it's £10,000 or more, you might go, that makes sense. Or if it's not, or if the gap isn't big enough to make it easy, you you may better sell with the tenant because that's simpler. As long as you communicate that with the tenant and they've got the option to buy it, if you're not getting the right level of interest, they're yeah. getting market value, you're getting a smooth transaction. You could probably have and try and have the best of both worlds if it's dealt with properly. And between the two of you, not asking for you to do a sales pitch on, on, on Mike, but between the two of you, what would be the strategy behind selling a landlord's buy to let from a marketing point of view? What are you going to do that's different to the average estate agent in the lead up to the marketing, in the build up with social media, with the video and everything? What What's the plan of action that you're going to take on that particular property? I think with us, a lot of people obviously know how we operate as an agent now. They know how very different we are to the other agents. It's amazing. I still go to properties that aren't necessarily in our area and they still love what we do have seen us all over social yeah. media and everything else which is awesome um but so what do you kick off with so obviously our favorite beat the portals love a beat the portals we love a beat the portals i, t- beat the portals. I tell you if I, could, I don't know the figure we need to work it out but i reckon i reckon about 40 percent of the properties we sell or get offers on at least are through beat the portal or something like that we get so much interest through that market. yeah and I, th- I think i think what we've noticed with the beat the portals is those first few buyers that have beaten the portals beat the rush uh, most of the time we're still pushing them towards a block of viewings um because then it still creates that urgency mm-hmm. rather than just selling it necessarily by the by the beat the portals it's getting... for, for a landlord as well to explain that because a landlord would you know if you're a property investor you'd love to get the jump on a deal or an yeah. opportunity before it goes to whole of market so through beat the portals effectively means that you're going live to explain on social media that you've got this type of property that will be coming to the market. It's not off market because you're starting the marketing there, but it's not on right moving Zoopla. So it's giving the mass market um, a hold while you give your kind of priority list or your exclusive clients the jump. So it's a nice way to kick things off. Very unique to obviously um, the avocado style of marketing as well. And what happens from thereafter? 
couple of I was going to mention obviously the landlord page utilizing that at the same time I know that we if we ever have a property that's suitable for a landlord we'll share it with Tristan and vice versa if he's got properties in our area we'll get that shared so again it's that exposure across the network yeah which I think we've been touching on for the last few months that we forget how powerful we are as a network across the counties now which is um which is really good so that goes in goes well for the landlords the communication with the the tenant is still the most important thing keeping them happy but then as i said earlier arranging a window or a block of viewings where we can utilize that time puts the tenant tenant out as little as possible we don't have set hours i know dan's the same as me we do evening open houses we do saturday we do sunday we do whatever we need to to put the client at ease Really, yeah. the benefit of an open house for a tenant is the same as selling a family's home, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's just so convenient to say, look, if you can help us out and keep it clean and tidy for this, you know, three or four hours, really appreciate yeah. it. Rather than every evening around dinner time, you've got an estate agent coming through with a buyer and it's just a total inconvenience. But this is, again, why a lot of a lot of estate agents, unfortunately, get a bad rep because they turn up when they haven't even told the tenant. I've had I've had horror stories where they've turned up with a possible buyer or a possible landlord going mm. in to view the property. The property's got tenants in there. The communication wasn't told. Maybe they mentioned it to Mr. and he didn't mention it to Mrs. and whatever else. And they're then in the middle of cooking dinner. And it's just, you're going you're gonna to upset people. And let's face it, they're already probably pretty wired at the fact that they might get kicked out of their house in the next few yeah. months. Yeah. So again, it's just, it's just having that open conversation and communication. And like I said earlier, Dan, I know Dan's got similar stories to me, but where we've looked after the tenant that's in there and they're now singing our praises. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think I, it's... I was going to say, I think the key to it as well for me is that selling a tenanted property or residential property, apart from the you might need to adapt a different stance with the people that are living there and so forth, it's just as special as selling any other house, yeah. whether it's a 200 grand or 400 million pound castle. We would do exactly the same thing to make sure we get the absolute best result. Um, and, you know, leading up to that open house day, whenever we decide that is the way that we market and push out to the I think we've got across just our two pages, 4000 followers and then the network must be I don't know what it is here. And you can probably tell us what the whole network is now. But... Bloody loads. <laughs> loads. Is that an official stat? Yeah. <laughs> yes, bloody loads. But we've got it's on four, a hoodie somewhere. <laughs> 4000 of those followers are seeing that beat the portals. And then we have a really amazing week where we build up to a full launch there on a Friday or Saturday where the. The video goes out that's bespoke for that home and it goes out on every single portal that we operate on. And it's just a really exciting day. And that should be the same for a tenancy property as it should be for any yeah. residential house and homeowner that's selling. It's the, um, it's the, and build it's the up process. to get the best price. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, one thing, sorry, on so we, let's say we've agreed the sale at that point. One thing that I know messes up a lot of chains, even if that agent and that seller's not actually involved in that particular buy to let that's nine times out of ten at the bottom of the chain. One thing is the dates and the communication of timescales, be it that the, the tenant comes to an end of tenancy on X date, mm -hmm. or the tenant must find before they move out, that was agreed, um, or the landlord doesn't want to achieve a sale um, after a financial year or prior to a financial year or the fixed term mortgage. The date around that can actually cause quite a few problems at the top of the chain mm -hmm. where the information is not passed on. So at that point, it's really vital that that agent that's dealing with that buy to let, if there is an onward purchase from that landlord because they're selling because they're buying onwards or it's the top of the chain and, you know, it's the end of the chain because, you know, that's the one that they're buying and they're going to move into it. And the bottom of the chain just don't know that nothing can happen before yeah. X or nothing can happen after X. Piecing it all together, isn't it? It's, it's really important that solicitors know that. Almost putting it on the memorandums to pass yeah. on. 
and Dan mentioned it earlier, there's a lot of people, if they're first time sellers or first time landlords selling, should I say, they don't know that you can't exchange contracts with the tenant in there. Mm. So they'll be pushing for that. And obviously they want to time it all correctly so they're not left with a property empty for too long. And then they forget that they've got to get, give two months notice. And then they're like, oh crap, now I need to lead up to that. So yeah. like, they're ready to exchange. And then they give notice because that's another thing. Solicitors won't suggest you give notice until they're yeah. ready. Because yeah. let's face it, no solicitor is going to even give you a little inkling that you're ready until no. they know you're ready. Yeah, And that's that's where it's the communication side of things and just knowing when and where to do things. But yeah, you'll get a solicitor that will wait until they're ready to send you the documents to sign. And then you go, right, well, now I've got to wait a month or I've got to wait two months. Two months. That's the yeah. worst call you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what that comes down to from my point of view though is, is and I can, I hope I can answer this pretty easily, having somebody who's experienced dealing with that whole transaction from the start. So yeah. whether that's the agent you might be using, or if you're working with us, for example, you just work with me or you just work with Neil and there's one line of contact through tenant through the solicitors and we know those dates it's not past somebody else who might look at it differently and we can judge it you know if we know we may know that okay actually we're pretty close we know we're going to be there there's a limited risk of your tenant if you gave them notice now yeah. you might have a two-week period of it being empty we can make that judgment it's your call if you want to give notice but we can start to judge it mm -hmm. um, and give so what is a, that. what is a good judgment call of when to give your tenant two months notice so well from so we sold the property buyers going through for example so i'd want that that purchaser um if the buyer is a for themselves to make sure they've got their mortgage off bearing place their searches are all back they've gone out they've had inquiries raised and you've got a set amount of inquiries that are to be answered you'll start to see then the solicitors will be answering them and you'll know from that point okay actually there's fairly simple inquiries to answer we think we should be there in two to three weeks so your tent your as Neil said, the, the, the solicitor is going to go, well, I'm not going to give you any advice based on anything until I know systematically we're ready. But we can make a judgment call going, your purchaser has got their deposit ready. We've seen their funds. They've got their mortgage signed off and agreed, or if it's cash, it's ready to go. All their inquiries are raised and you know they're all being answered. We're not far off. We can start the same, probably two to three weeks. We're going to be talking about an exchange and setting a completion date. Once we're a bit closer, we can give you that. Buyers financially there. committed, aren't they? Yeah. Searches want. free, three hundred and fifty quid. Survey free to five hundred quid. They're financially committed on non-refundable money. Yeah, there's always going to be that risk element, but it's it's eliminating that risk and it's making sure, like I said a minute ago, you don't get to the point of exchange and then go. Do you know what? Sorry, chain. Sorry, everyone involved. Now I've got to wait a month or two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, before we can exchange. The yeah. other thing as well, it sort of leads into it. If it I'm not sure there's been many landlords necessarily who are selling and then having a chain in. There will be people, though, they're using that sale, I suppose, to fund yes. a new family home. If you're thinking of selling a an investment property to fund a family purchase, you probably want to be doing that even earlier because I would try not to tie them in because that might be the yeah. challenge because you're probably going to sell a residential home as well as that. Mm. And suddenly you've got a split chain, two links. A lot of estate agents, if you're trying to buy a bigger house, will go, what's your position? As soon as they hear split chain, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I promise you, <laughs> they'll just go, well, there's other people that are ready to go. Even if your offer's better, it's just too much risk. Yeah. So if you want to sell an investment property to eliminate to, your to risk, fund it, to buy a, a one later down the line as a family home, get get your investment one done, boxed off, keep it separate, don't tie it in. Yeah, great advice and lots of helpful information there. And if there's, if there's landlords listening out there or property investors or people that are looking at selling their asset, they think... For a variety of reasons, it might just be the right time to do it. They might feel the market has peaked. They might feel, right, I'm going to get some cash in the bank because if there is a downward turn in one way, I want to be able to invest because cash is king. Whatever the reason is, 
if you want us to help you with a strategy around how best to get your assets sold, then reach out to me, Mike, Dan, Neil, and you know, anywhere in the country, we can give you some advice, but specifically in your home counties here, we'll be able to help you with that. So um, gents, really appreciate you coming on and sharing your pearls of wisdom there. It's always great to get you on the mic. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants to get in contact with Dan and Neil, all of their details will be in the captions of this podcast or the video that we're posting and you can uh, drop them a DM or give them a call. Sounds good. Thank you, gents. No, thank, thank you. you. Cheers. So Mike, Dan and Neil have left the building. Uh, I didn't know how the podcast, what direction we'd end up going, to be honest. Although I've always got a few sort of banked questions, we ended up going here, there and everywhere. But some great tax advice from you. And not that it's legal tax advice, because obviously you're not an accountant. but Tax opinions. Tax opinions rather than advice. And I think people will really find that quite interesting, actually. And I quite like the way that we were talking about communication a lot with the landlords. I think that's if there's a takeaway from it, it's about setting that strategy up to make sure the timescales or the finances work for the landlord and how you communicate that so it doesn't just become transactional is so vital. But really interesting podcast that gets your mind thinking, doesn't it, of the type of advice that a landlord needs that they don't always get when they're thinking of selling their buy-to-let. Yeah, there's obviously not a one-size-fits-all answer for when you're selling your buy-to-let property. What works for someone doesn't work for someone else. And I think the biggest takeaway I got was making a judgment call at certain points so the certain trigger points of right i want to market my property how does it look inside does that serve for selling if it doesn't you need to make the hard call if it does then brilliant and then obviously as dan said on the in the progression side your solicitor is going to give you black or white it's ready or it's not ready Mm. whereas a good experienced estate agent know that life is gray right in the middle and it's like Things are progressing, so you need to act again. So as a landlord, it's up to you to make those hard calls at the right times, but do it with the right advice. Absolutely. And I think it's the way the estate agency industry needs to go. You get advice from your mortgage advisor. You get advice from your accountant. You should get advice from your solicitor. And you should get advice from your estate agent. And it hasn't been the case for the last couple of decades. But hopefully with the change in how people are thinking, Landlords just need that little bit of advice on how to maximize their value or achieve their timescale. And they need it from their estate agent. And that's the difference of using quality and the opposite. So great podcast. Until next Friday, thanks to everyone that's watched or listened. And if you've got any questions, you know where we are. Drop us a DM, give us a call. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.